spend more time in the outdoors and you'll find that everything in life gets better. Yeah, I, I greatly enjoyed this. is one of my funnest podcasts I've ever been part of. No more dreaming, no more wishing. Wave goodbye. I'm gone fishing. Welcome to the Canadian Fishing Podcast. Previously known as the Made for Memories Podcast. Where we explore the sport and business of fishing in Canada. And the memories made in the great outdoors. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Canadian Fishing Podcast. Happy New Year, Brad. Happy New Year, Jessica. It's cold today. Winter is here. Yeah. We got we got spoiled a little bit this year so far. Lynn, our Lynn, our uh, accounting uh, person here at the shop, said yesterday, "Winter's almost over." And I said, "Well, it's being pretty generous, Lynn. It's not almost over. Just got here." And she said, "Well, March is only, you know, two months away ish." Like, well, isn't she just a sunshine and rainbows type of optimist yeah bet you the ice anglers are pretty happy get a little bit of cold firm up some of the ice ice fishing opportunities from what i understand have been limited yep we went skating on pigeon lake over the holiday yep and because there hadn't been any snow the ice was fairly clear and it was really cool See any fishies swimming underneath you? I didn't, but there was like some structure and some bubbles that came, you know, into the ice, froze into the ice. And it was just, that was, it was, it was neat. That doesn't usually happen in central Alberta. It's true. Yeah. Usually snow on top of ice, right? Correct. Mm Mm-hmm. I, you know, as somebody who has never taken up ice fishing, I often wonder about, you know, how worried you actually have to be. Because you do hear so many horror stories. But every year I post that ice chart that the Alberta Conservation Association puts out. And everyone always, always, oh, that's so conservative. That's so conservative. Yeah, well, I don't like water, so I prefer the conservative ice chart because I don't really want to go in the water on a good day, on a warm summer day, let alone a freezing cold day. So, but I don't know. Polar plunges, it's the new thing. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, I'm going to avoid that. Um, But it's interesting when you start talking about it, it to go a little bit dark here, we should probably shouldn't go sad or dark on a, on a, uh, you know, first podcast of the year, but you know, I know uh, one person personally who's passed away falling through the ice, and I know uh, another person's dad who passed away falling through the ice. So it's not like it's not like it's hey, a nothing thing, right? I know somebody whose dad put their truck through the ice. Yeah, that's a bad day too. Yeah. So I yeah I think you know people. Hey, maybe you should go drive your truck on the ice. <laughs> <laughs> that's an inside joke because my 10 year old truck is having some problems, some major problems. And now we can't do that because it's been documented. And if it goes through the ice, the insurance people will probably have something to say about that. So, 
a good point. Kind of like, you know, if the factory burns down, they're going to blame me because I saw a mouse or something. Yeah, exactly. We should stop. We should really stop talking about stuff on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to bite us in the ass. Yeah, it could. Hopefully not. Do you but have anyways. plans to go ice fishing in the near future? Are you going? Oh yeah, no, I, I'm itching to get out. Actually, I, uh, I was, yeah, I was. I actually tried to go out to a lake uh, last weekend, I think. And uh, the landowner, it's a private lake, and the landowner is just like, yeah, maybe not yet, because there's still a bunch of open water, and I don't need you following in. And I said, fair enough, it's your land, so. Um, yeah, I was kind of excited because it's a private lake with a bunch of perch. And oh, cool! If I can't catch perch there, then probably can't well, catch perch. Probably can't catch perch. I've never caught a perch to the ice, so I was kind of excited about it. But well, just a couple of friendly reminders from your friendly host at the Community Fishing Podcast: Please do not fish on aerated ponds, or and... exercise extreme caution on aerated ponds. And, you know, watch your ice thickness levels. There's mm-hmm. like, you use like a little drill, right? That's how most people do it. With like a oh, little well, ice gauge or. No, I mean, some people drill holes. Other people just take a, like you get those really big, heavy pry bars. Like they're solid steel and probably weigh, I don't know, 30 pounds each. And you just, you go out and you just bang away on the ice and. I don't know. I've never done it because I've never gone on. On uh, we're giving advice. We shouldn't be giving advice because we're not experts. That's why I'm asking questions. I don't ice fish, so. <laughs> and I don't think but... Nick ice fishes because Nick Nick is uh, he he prefers more tropical uh, destinations for his fishing. So he we won't be able to ask him. I'll have to get I'll have to get somebody else on and ask how to test for safe ice. We should do that soon. I have a person in mind. Cool. But, but until pick- then, yeah, let's talk to our let's talk to our first American on the podcast. Today we welcome Nick Clark. Nick is in charge of international sales at the Wright and McGill Company. Founded in 1925, the Wright and McGill Company manufactures and distributes premium quality fishhooks, rods, reels, terminal tackle, and mobile ice shelters throughout the U.S. and in over 40 countries. Perhaps best known for the brand name Eagle Claw, they are the largest remaining hook manufacturer in North America, and Len Thompson slash Northern King's primary hook supplier. We're going to talk some hooks today. Please welcome Nick Clark. Hey, guys. Good to see you. Good to see you, too. Nick, you have the good distinction of being our very first Yankee. The very first Yank. I'm I'm honored and uh I'm this is my first podcast and I, I'm actually going into this already feeling like a celebrity. So good. Uh, I think uh I, I'm I'm very honored to to speak to your millions of viewers. M- millions, many yeah. millions, yes. Yeah. Nick yeah. said he had to turn down a um request for the Joe Rogan. I did. I did. You know, his podcast yeah. went three hours. I can't I can't pay attention that long. So yeah. Uh, so I, I'm going with uh, the the next best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can Canadian fishing podcast is definitely the next best after yeah. Joe Rogan. Yeah. So thanks for having me on, though, guys. Appreciate no it. No worries. No, we're excited to have you. Uh, before 
we get into it, I just want to do a little bit of history on our end because, uh, you know, I've known Nick for since the very first time that, uh, that I joined the industry. I think I came down a year in and took a quick tour around the factory because we have a very long history with. Yeah. yeah I, it's very possible that Thompson Pallister is our longest continuous, uh, customer on the OEM side. I can't, you know, documentation's a little vague. Uh, I, I don't have any way to verify that, but I cannot think of another customer that we've been supplying hooks to for, I mean, 60 years or whatever it is, you know, so yeah, uh, continuously. And so I think you guys have that distinction, honestly. So yeah, and and I think I think we we do too. We when we look back on our records, our records are a little spotty too. But I did find a picture of our dad in the early seventies with long, luscious, flowing red hair and bell bottoms and all the yeah. 19, early nineteen seventies get up at the at the at the Wright and McGill factory with uh uh with our grandpa Cecil. So was that uh, with the brown the big brown car? Yeah. Yeah, I re I've seen that picture. I've seen yeah. It. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So anyways, we're happy to have you on here, Nick, as our first American, uh, and we're going to talk hooks. Excellent. So first, my first question for you is tell us about Eagle Claw and about your role in the company. I've been with Eagle Claw for 18 years, 18 years last October, uh, and I was hired uh, to help develop our, our international uh, business. So we uh, export products to uh, around 55 60 countries uh and when i started it just it really wasn't developed we didn't have a kind of a uh, organization behind our international business so we you know we shipped hooks abroad but we didn't we didn't have a real big focus on it so i i was brought in to to first help with our business in throughout the americas uh mexico central south america particularly where we had growing business, but really not the ability to, to support it internally. And so I worked on that for a few years. Uh, uh, and then uh, kind of started working on our Canadian accounts, uh, our Australian accounts. And then my predecessor retired or, you know, uh, and uh, at that point I, I, be, I was put in charge of all of our international business, which sort of is, is, kind of into three segments, uh, sport fishing, you know, and uh, that covers packaged hooks and rods, reels, uh, everything under the sun, sinkers, floats, uh, swivels, all that stuff. And then our OEM segment, which is supplying uh, lure manufacturers like yourselves, uh, you know, and there's several in Canada, but there's a, a number in, in Asia that we supply that use Eagle Claw hooks uh, and that product mostly comes back to, to North America for distribution. And then the commercial fishing segment, which is actually quite large uh, uh, for us. Uh, we supply millions of hooks for long landing fleets, that, uh, boat fleets around the world. With respect to the company, we're, we're an old company. We'll, we'll turn uh, 100 years next year, uh, based out of Denver, Colorado. And, do not uh, build the world's largest fishing hook. We've already done what's that? that. Do not build the world's largest fishing hook. We've already done that. And your names are on it. <laughs> yeah, we've we've 
we're gonna outdo you on the world's largest largest fishing hook i think now we uh we yeah we've been based here in denver colorado for for almost 100 years and uh uh making fish hooks and uh you know we started as a small company uh really focused on colorado fishing and fly fishing and you know a lot of things hooks i think were made basically by hand at that point uh mass production hadn't quite been introduced uh and it wasn't until um world war one I, I believe that we uh received a commission by the u.s government to make survival kits for for uh for soldier for you know for our army and uh uh, that's when we really got into mass hook production because we, you know, we literally got a contract to build millions of hooks and to build the machinery to make those millions of hooks. And, uh, from there, it's just been, uh, you know, a, a road forward, with lots of different projects, lots of different products, uh, but with hooks always being our core business, you know, that's what we make, uh, here in Colorado and we've continued to, uh, to manufacture today. So yeah, we're we're sort of a, the only American fish hook supplier uh, manufacturer, and uh, you know we have a big market here in the United States, a uh, good market in Canada, and, and throughout the Americas really. Um, uh, definitely a kind of an iconic brand when it comes to fish hooks, and certainly one of the you know the top five in the world of you know of known brands of major brands. So cool. So you uh, so we we do about approximately give or take 750,000 lures a year, mm-hmm. um, give or take a hundred thousand. How many hooks do you bang out of that factory in Denver in a year? Well, you know, we're, a, we're a small private company and we don't make a lot of that information public, but it is in the hundreds of millions, hundreds of millions. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. They're, and... they're quite top secret about their manufacturing processes. Um, yeah, I mean, weekly millions, you know, we're, uh, uh, is what we produce a, a week here in Denver, Colorado. So cool. How hands-on is the process? Like without, you know, you're not giving away your trade secrets, but does like, well, no, we can go into a machine and spit it out or how? Does yeah, it- it's, it's not, you know, it's not, it's not that top secret. Uh, I can definitely explain the, the, the process of making a fish hook, uh, you know, they start two different ways, either a roll of wire of different gauges or a blank, you know, basically a roll of wire that's cut into blanks with a, you know, that's how we make our needle point hooks and, and a, 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 the needle is honed onto the blank and then fed into the machine. But traditionally, most of our hooks are wire fed. And so literally a giant roll of wire that we buy from a that we have purchased from the same company for many, many years out in Pennsylvania. Uh, you know, this wire would be fed into the machine. The machine, uh, you know, is like a very large table with different processes, process heads around it. Uh, could be up to, you know, eight or 10 heads. And uh, each of those do a different process and shoot the hook out at the, you know, at the final process. And and those hooks, uh you know, then go through a heat treatment process because when they come off the machine, they're, you can bend them, you can do whatever. Uh, so you got to temper them to give them the correct hardness. And, uh, you know, this is done at different temperatures depending on the hook and the application, but generally around, uh, let's say, 450 to 600 degrees Fahrenheit is what they're tempered at. Um, 
From there, they go into a plating operation. And, you know, your most common plating would be bronze or nickel or uh, platinum black, black nickel, some people call it, uh, gold, red. Um, and then, you know, a saltwater finish, we call it Seaguard, which is a tin-based finish. And uh, so each, each just depending on, on what the hook application is, they'll go through a plating process uh, and then uh, on to hook packaging. And we do different, all different kinds of, you know, whether it be just a small retail pack of 10 hooks to, uh, you know, a 50 piece pack or a hundred piece pack or a bulk pack for, for, for you guys, for example, that are, are manufacturing Thousand. something. Yeah. So thousands. So, well, we certainly don't get very many complaints about our hooks. No. Yeah. Good. They're there. We just buy a lot of one type of hook. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you guys have, uh, you guys do use large quantities of just one hook basically, but of different sizes. We, we try to, we try to buy a little bit, um, thicker 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 uh wire yeah so we, exactly. we like we like the thicker wire hooks mm -hmm. um, because we don't get complaints on hooks and yep. and if you you spend a couple more pennies for uh you know a 775 kind of a, a hook as opposed to you know a, a 975 you're, you're you're gonna have you're gonna have i don't know it's my theory that we're gonna have less complaints because we just you are you are and you know it's it is important, and especially with some of the lures you guys make, uh, spoons and, you know, getting into the weeds and things like that. Uh, it's important to have a, a strong treble hook uh, and a sharp treble hook. And, you know, that's, uh, I think it is always good to sort of veer on the larger wire uh, diameter when you can. So yeah. when you really get into some different rigs and bass fishing, it gets you know, it's can become it can become a little more technical, uh, finesse fishing, and and they will require lighter gauge wires and things like that. But uh, uh, for your applications, I think uh, a strong treble hook is pretty critical. Yeah, and that's that's why we buy them. But to to next point, we do need to forecast them out a little bit. We yeah. we usually have about a million hooks here in the factory at any one time, because mm -hmm. you know as a relative, it, it's not good when you run out of a hook because a lure doesn't work very well without the yeah. hook. Yeah. 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 So, so we usually forecast a year in advance and we usually buy in a year in advance and, and, uh, and, but cause it does take a little bit of time to get those extra thick wired uh, hooks uh, plugged into and the system. It, it, you know, we, we, sometimes it works smoothly and we have, we, we have a good time with it. Other times there's challenges and that's, you know, like throughout the 18 years that I've been working with Thompson Pallister, I can, you know, I, I recall good times and bad times with production. There's always, uh, you know, difficulties. Mostly good. Mostly good. Mostly good. I only had to yell at you once, Nick. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember. You must not have been yelling very well. Well, my yelling is a smile on your face stern, like father yell. Like, <laughs> I'm disappointed. You got I'm not bad. Yeah. I'm just yeah, disappointed. Yeah. Disappointed. And, and, you know, when you're building uh, millions of hooks a week uh, or running a machine uh, at the, at the speed that we run machines, you do have a certain percentage of defective hooks. It's unavoidable. And uh, I know you guys have seen some, some very interesting treble hooks over the years. Sure. Yeah. But those, uh, th those are, those are fine. We, yeah. th we don't give those to our customers. Those, no, those yeah. go into a different pile. Yeah, the, yeah, well, I, I we got a quadruple hook once, I think. 
yep, you get some quadruples here and there, or a, or a hook point might be upside down, and and you know that's just a natural thing. Uh, you know, you open up a pack of M and M's, and there's always a dead in there that's shaped <laughs> weird. So. Yeah, so, uh, we uh, but, we should throw a, a quadruple hook out to the in a special like ooh a Willy Wonka. There we go. I'm on Willy Wonka right now, uh, like a golden ticket. We could do a quadruple hook one. Yeah, I've seen some, you know, uh, hooks where you're just kind of like, how in the world did our machine make that? Like, how is that, you know, <laughs> just physically uh, possible? So those are always kind of fun. We try to eliminate those during during the different. Uh, QC processes, quality control processes, but you know when you're dealing with uh, the quantity of hooks, uh, it, it's it's sometimes hard to catch them all. But that's that's the same with any any type of mass manufacturing. Cool. Um, I'd like to ask a little bit about the hook industry. Okay. Uh, so I've I've got a two part question. Um, one is uh, you had stated earlier that you're kind of Eagle Claw is one of the top five. Uh, main branded hook manufacturers in the world. Um, so tell us what differentiates Eagle Claw from those. And the second question is, what? why is there only one hook manufacturer in North America or the Americas, really? Yeah, well, both are good questions. Uh, fish hooks haven't evolved that much since they used, uh, you know, whale bones or whatever to... <laughs> to uh, whittle a fish hook thousands of years ago. Uh, the general concept is the same. Uh, and so when you look at fish hooks between the different manufacturers, they're the same designs. There's no, you know, you can have some innovative contraptions, injection molded to them and things like that. Uh, uh, but a fish hook is a fish hook. And we always joke around here, uh, a lot of fish hooks are really for the angler, not necessarily the fish. Um, you could probably catch, uh, you know, a good percentage of all species on a single, you know, a simple J hook that we've made for, for a hundred years. Uh, so when you get into the different finishes and the slight variations of, of size differences and shapes and things like that, uh, it, it's perhaps not necessary, uh, but you know, that's what it is. And, and so, you know, we're, we produce the same style of hooks that a lot of our competitors produce. Uh, I think what differentiates us is we are the only, really the only manufacturer that outside, you know, that hasn't moved its production to China at this point, or there are some good Japanese, you know, some Japanese uh, fish hooks that, that still build hooks in Japan. Uh, you know, one of our competitors has still build some, some hooks in France. Um, uh, but has have moved large parts of their production outside of outside of Europe, and and so you know we remain the only sort of uh, hook company that hasn't hasn't moved its production to the Far East, and and I think that you know is testament to to our to the quality, the overall quality you find in eagle clawfish hooks, um, consistent quality. Part two of the question was, why is there only one? hook manufacturer in all the Americas? Good and question. Why is there only one in Europe and why is there... You yeah, know, you know, like, but it's it's not a huge industry at the end of the day. Um, sport fishing or globally or even in, in the United States, it's a big industry, but when you compare it to other uh, outdoor recreation activities, uh, you know, it's I, it was America, America's favorite pastime for many, many years. I'm not sure if that's still the case. You know, it's kind of 
fishing as a as an outdoor sport has somewhat been on a very gradual decline over the in recent years, decades maybe even. It did get a very nice bump over during the pandemic where people had to stay home. Uh, uh, fishing license sales across the United States just skyrocketed. Uh, and uh, I think, uh, you know, a number of those people will continue doing it. But uh, I don't think there's a, a market globally big enough for a lot of manufacturers. And it is unique machinery. It's not like there's you can just go buy a fish hook machine to start building them. We make our fish hooks machines that here in-house we have a machine shop hmm. all the heads are designed and built by us uh, you know some of the components obviously we purchase motors and things like that but yeah. generally the fish hook machines are are designed and some of them are very old you know they go back to to uh world war ii to era type you know that have been retrofitted and modified and, and things like that some of them we've built in the last couple of years. We've got three machines, three new machines that have all come online in the last uh, two or three years. So, so, but we've built all of those. And so I just, I don't think it's a very indus uh, easy industry to just pop into it. So um, I would like to switch gears a little bit uh, to fishing. I know okay. I is geeking out over the manufacturing side because he loves stuff like that. I do. Yeah. But uh, when we approached you about doing the podcast, you said, quote unquote, well, I don't fish very much. And then we tried to schedule a podcast. You're like, oh, well, I'm, I'm fishing in Australia over the next. I'm fishing in Peru. I'm fishing I'm here, there. Rica, so yeah. I think that yeah. it's, um, not fishing very much is a little inaccurate. But since the Canadian fishing podcast, mm -hmm. I would like you to tell us about your experiences fishing in Canada. In Canada, yeah. Um, okay, I do have I have some good experiences in Canada. When I was young, you know, growing up, uh, my dad, uncles, cousins, and I went up to uh, Manitoba on at least two or three times on you know fly in trips to fish walleye and northern pike on lakes up there. Uh, so you know that was something I have good memories from when I was a little kid, and and we've done that even uh, in the last couple of years. Uh, here at the company, we've gone up as a group uh, to a, a place called Aikens Lake, uh, and it's one of the many fly-in lodges, uh, you know, in Canada. And uh, so really enjoy those trips. You know, I think that there's fabulous fishing all over Canada. I've also fished on Lake Erie from the Canadian side. Uh, I went perch fishing with uh, with a uh, a customer, mutual customer, customer of ours, a number of years ago, and also I was with one of Canada's uh, famous anglers, Mr. Dave Mercer. I think you guys, Ooh, some Dave of your listeners, Mercer. might recognize him. Yeah. So, so that's you know those are really my only experiences fishing in Canada. I haven't done any saltwater out of Canada or anything really on the coasts. Yeah, but back to Jess's point. I think I do fish. I don't fish like a lot of my colleagues fish who are just nuts. Okay. Jess is, so, Jess is teasing you. We, yeah. we understand what you mean. Yeah. Are I, people who fish, they fish. Yeah. I don't go to the mountains. You know, there's wonderful fishing here in Colorado. I really don't take advantage of because it's just not my thing. I do other things. Um, but I tend to fish when I travel 
I like saltwater fishing. A lot of my markets outside of the country are saltwater focused. And so that, that's, you know, i.e. I'm fishing in Australia. That's what that means. Well, tell us about your last Australian fishing trip. How, yeah. How'd it go? Where'd you go? Or your Where'd Peru you trip or your... Yeah, well, this past year, I, I got into some good fishing, actually, outside of, you know, while I was traveling. Uh, uh, the most recent one was over to Australia, and we have a distributor we've worked with over there for a long time, 30, 30, 30 plus years, I think. And uh, uh, I hadn't been over there to visit them for about 12 years, so I made a trip over, and we did some business stuff. They were, they're based out of Brisbane and uh, visited some stores and had a meeting with a retailer over there. And then we flew. I'd been over to Australia, but I'd only traveled sort of the the, the coast, you know, Sydney, Brisbane, uh, Melbourne, seeing the city. So we flew up to Darwin in the Northern Territories and uh, spent a few days fishing out of there. Um, it was good. I caught a number of species, but added a number of species to my, uh, to my list of, you know, fish. What did you, uh, what, what did you add? What we was the caught, first thing you caught? So we caught some, some, some GT, some giant Trevelli's. Uh, we caught, uh, some, some very large Spanish mackerel, uh, which I've caught before, but I hadn't seen them that big. Um, I caught a couple fish. I call them aquarium fish because, you know, that's what they look like big giant aquarium fish i can't put a name to him you know uh, uh the coral bright, trout. yeah yeah cor coral trout was one of them you know that I, I didn't recognize uh and then you know just a few things that were caught off the reefs um, um we caught some barramundi which are sort of your uh inshore it's a real popular fish over there i i kind of compare it to a snook or something like that uh, over here um and the fishing was just okay. You know, they, they have a, it's not really a problem. It's actually uh, evidence of a healthy ecosystem, but they have a lot of sharks, uh, bull sharks, really big sharks. And so I would say half of the fish we caught um, suddenly became much larger and then disappeared <laughs> <laughs> on their way into the boat. So, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we, yeah, we really, we were dealing with these, these bull sharks. They were, they were, the bull sharks, the aggressive ones too. They are. And I actually caught one on a uh, hard bait on a lure, uh, which is kind of random. Uh, a guy I was fishing with, one of the guys I was fishing with uh, lives up there in Darwin. And it's uh, like, I haven't seen this before. And, and so I got to fight him a little bit. He was like a sailfish and he was jumping and, and things like that. And, you know, soon enough, his, his tooth caught a piece of the line and he was gone. But it was fun. It was, it was hot. It was as hot as I've ever been out on a boat on the ocean uh, that I've ever experienced, you know, much hotter than I, I, I recall for like in, compared to like Central America and different places. So prior to that, um, I was down in Colombia and did a really interesting trip up into the Darien Gap on the Pacific side. You went to uh, Medellin. Yeah, I flew into Medellin and then a small plane up to the coast uh, in, into the jungle, basically, uh, to this lodge. And had actually some of the best saltwater fishing I've ever experienced. Uh, we caught, you know, tuna and sailfish and roosterfish and different kinds of snapper and you name it. Uh, and just three days of excellent fishing. Um, 
Uh, and then probably, I think maybe one of the funnest, it was, that was a fun time, but I also went to Nicaragua this year, this past year. And, uh, uh, you should laugh at you. These are really cool. Yeah. <laughs> I don't fish. But, well, no, like I say, this last year was an anomaly. Uh, I, you know, I fished at the Len Thompson fishing pond this summer. I think I had a mid, I, I had a mid career crisis this past year and I went fishing a number of times. So yeah, and in in Nicaragua, I got to catch uh, wapote, which are uh, uh, like Central America's peacock bass. It's in that family, and it's it's a unique fish, and they live in the river systems down there. So, so you know what? Nice though I uh, I appreciate that comment when you said that you had a, a mid career life crisis, yeah. <laughs> um, because I I do think that we working in the industry, we get disconnected from yep. why we do it. Exactly. Yeah. And like, I've, I felt very refreshed after going on, you know, fishing adventures and having really amazing days and being like, Oh yeah, this is why people love it. Yeah. No, I said it, I said it jokingly, but I think there's some truth to what I said, uh, you know, especially three years of a pandemic that really sort of, you know, changed my my modus operandi or whatever uh, you know the way i work and and so yeah i i really last year I, this past year was a year to get out and connect with people and customers and and you know kind of remember what i'm doing so when when you there go on these exotic trips do you bring your own product or do you kind of just rely on the guides and just go with the flow uh, a little of both, you know, a lot of times I'll, I'll fish with customers. Uh, so they'll have our products on board or with us, uh, but I'll take stuff down and, you know, primarily hooks. I don't like to try it. I don't like to travel with a lot of, you know, a lot of rods and reels and things like that. Uh, uh, but I always take, take hooks to give to boat captains and different people. And, uh, so, so yeah, we're definitely using our gear for, for sure. Um, uh, but depending on the kind of fishing, if you get if we were doing saltwater fishing, we don't really get into saltwater rods and reels, and so we just don't uh, can't always use my gear in some of that in some of those scenarios. It's always good to experiment. Yeah. Okay, so uh, I think it's time for rapid fire, Jess. Okay, rapid fire is what a number of questions, and I have like thirty seconds to answer them or something, right? That is correct. Nick and Jess will put up a timer and try to be within the 30 seconds ish. Okay. Shoot. Okay. All right. Uh, question number one. This is the Canadian fishing podcast. What Canadian stereotypes in your professional opinion are true? Canadian stereotypes that are true. Um, whew. 23 seconds. No, you guys are hockey fanatics. Um, you all wake up with, to a bowl of poutine. Um, every day. Every, every day. And every night uh, you go and you practice broom ball. Or curling. curling you call curling. it. Yeah, I, I call it broom ball. <laughs> There's no balls in curling, Nick. <laughs> broom ball is actually legitimately a sport that my husband plays. Okay. Um, <laughs> and you my... play it on ice. 
with like basically like a stick with this plastic piece at the end that's like a triangle and you whack this big ball and uh-huh. you crack the ice. Okay. It's a yeah. thing. It's oh, not I... a popular thing, but it is a thing. <laughs> I... Next question. <laughs> question. Question number two. Uh, what is your favorite thing about the fishing industry? The people. 100 percent uh we uh we work in an industry i think that's very laid back and generally the all the the customers we work with are, are good to work with we we make friends and uh uh recognize you know where we are and uh and what we do and and, and make the best of it and enjoy it good i would agree with that too generally it's it's fun to it's it's a fun industry yeah it's a humble industry humble industry yeah question number three what is the thing project or experience in your career at eagle claw that you are most proud of um you know individual programs that i've put together that have been successful and you know one that comes to mind is uh, we work with a big retailer in finland uh you know, that it was a country that we didn't exist in. And today we have a very nice presence in. And, you know, I started that from start to finish. And, you know, we sell a large assortment of products. Uh, our brand is now recognized and and growing. And uh, they're coming to visit us, actually, this month. So. Cool. I would love to go to Finland. Yeah. Sounds I like have, a nice place. Yeah. It's, it's a cool place in Scandinavia. It's different than the other countries. Question number four, what is your favorite fishing memory from within the last five years? In the last five years, I'm going to say this, this trip I took to, that I was talking to you guys about to Colombia, just, you know, we're flying up into the jungle, the Darien Gap, and and we had such good fishing uh, the days we were out, uh, different species. It's not easy to, to get into good fishing, uh, in salt water and and that certainly you know happened on that trip medellin yeah we got to go to medellin pablo's backyard yeah you were saying it's like super safe and like nothing like you columbia is right now like it is is. yeah medellin is actually a very progressive city uh they have a sort of a thriving little tech sector and a lot of a lot of uh, expats moved down there during the pandemic and they work remotely out of there and it's a happening little place. Cool. Actually, it's a big city to be honest with you, but okay. All right. Question number five. Uh, last time we got together as a group, we asked this question, but we'll ask it again publicly on okay. the record. What is your favorite thing that you can get in Canada, but not back at home? Um... Two things, a Caesar cocktail. Mm. You know, I can get them down here, but they're not the same. And I would say Timmy Hortons. I love Timmy Hortons. So the Timmy Hortons coffee and a Caesar cocktail. How do you take your order? I'm sorry? How do you take your order? Is it a double-double? Is it Double-double. Double-double all the way. (laughs) Hot opinion. I don't like Tim Hortons coffee. I know we talked about this. You go to McDonald's, which is weird. 
Question number six. Have you ever fished with a Len Thompson lure? I and- have. Wonderful. And if so, tell us a fishing story involving a Len Thompson product. Go. Uh, last year, took a trip up to Aikens Lake Lodge in Canada, and I grabbed a couple of Lynn Thompson lures that I had in my office and took them with me, not not knowing you know if I would really use them. And I ended up throwing them and catching some northern pike. And it was wonderful. The biggest northern pike you've ever caught, right? No, well, they they weren't they weren't trophies necessarily, but uh, <laughs> you are clearly wanted. not an angler if you're not exaggerating, Nick. <laughs> yeah, but uh, honestly, I haven't special. I don't fish a lot with spoons, uh, just because of you know where I'm at and the type of fishing I do. But yeah. I have fished with Lynn Thompson spoons. Cool. Number seven. What is the most beautiful and or unique place that you've ever fished and you cannot say? Median in Colombia. Who? <laughs> uh, um, huh. I mean, everywhere you fish is beautiful, generally, or you wouldn't be there. Um, you know, I fished down in Mexico, uh, out of, out of Cabo San Lucas, and up the coast to La Paz on the Sea of Cortez, and just have some really some memories of some really beautiful surroundings there okay mexico 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 okay right last question question number eight what you do a lot of travel as part of your position Mm -hmm. what is your favorite place to travel that you have to return to frequently Oh, wow. You know, this is the hardest. Toronto I, Airport? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <Minnesota>? <laughs> <laughs> um, No, this is a hard one because I, I enjoy going there. I enjoy traveling. Um, I like kind of the exoticness of different places in Asia. Uh, you know, especially as I've traveled to Europe quite a few times or central South America, Mexico, I just know those places well. And so it's fun to go somewhere exotic and new, you know, whether it's somewhere in China or Japan or, you know, Taiwan, or so I've been to Singapore, Malaysia, and all those countries are so different. And so I'd, I'd say those are, uh, uh, because of the exotic factor of them, you know, just fun. So not Mississauga. Mississauga. I don't know what Mississauga is. I kind of like, you know, I, I only know the warehouse that we both know of and the Toronto airport and the, uh, um, the, uh, Congress the center, restaurant, the sushi restaurant we go to. Oh, that's- and the sushi restaurant. That's actually yeah. one of my favorite sushi places. There. there you go. See Mississauga best ever better sushi than Japan is what I heard. Yeah. And then I, you know, my favorite place in Canada is actually Lacombe, Alberta. I don't know if you, oh, there you go. <laughs> now you just suck it up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Nick did come and visit us this past year on one of his adventures to see the world's largest fishing lure in person. Yeah. He acted onto one of the shows that we were at. Um, and I felt like we showed you a pretty good time in the 12 hours that you were in Lacombe, Alberta. You did. We went and uh, 
what was the restaurant's name? That was good. Uh, cilantro, cilantro and chive. Yes, yeah, cilantro and chive. Had good food. And then had we, good Caesars. Yeah, had Caesars too. And Nate, Nate had like the poutine special. Yes. Um, and then uh, the little hotel place we stayed at was quite nice, uh, new. And Lacombe, I had been up to Lacombe, but it was, you know, it was 10 or 12 years. So what about your live sporting experience? Well, that, that was great too. I got to see uh, your dad play curling with his, with his buddies, his, you know, his. Group. You don't need to say play curling. You can just say curl just as an curl. So you don't embarrass yourself yeah. next time you're in Canada. <laughs> I saw him, uh, yeah, playing, um, what do you call them? Are they, they're not boulders. They're uh, rocks. Rocks. Okay. So rock brushing. Rock brushing. Yes. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that, that's cool though. You know, that's, it, it was fun to go in and see, uh, so many people, uh, enjoying a sport like this, very social sport. So. All right, Nick, thank you for your time today. Thank you guys for having me on and for, for being such great uh, friends and customers and I really enjoy, enjoy working with you. Thank you. Last thing is uh, just tell us a little bit about where our audience can find more about Eagle Claw uh, and uh, anything else you want to yeah, and leave us with. Well, our website, www.eagleclaw.com is probably the best way to look at our products and different offerings. And, uh, you know, you can find us in, in most stores throughout Canada, uh, whether they be Cabela's, Bass Pros, uh, uh, Walmart, you know. So we're, or many, many of your independent uh, retailers across the country we support. So uh, that's it. That's it. We're yeah. done. Until next time, listeners, happy fishing. Happy fishing.